Welcome to another episode of the Arena Craft Podcast, a show dedicated exclusively to Magic the Gathering Arena. I'm one of your hosts, Arjuna. I'm joined today by our other host, Covert Go Blue, and CGB Omnath, 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 Omnath? Omnath! Omnath. Omnath. Yeah, Omnath, dude. Omnath. Omnath. Bro, Omnath. Omnath, Omnath, um, Omnath, 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 Omnath. Omnath, Omnath, but Omnath, 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 so Omnath. <laughs> Omnath. Oh, Omnath. Omnath. We, we, we bring to you another week in the arena. If there was any question as to what we're going to talk about today, I hope that we laid that to rest in an expedient fashion. So uh, what do you think? Is that a wrap, CGB? Good luck next week and happy Omnath. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> I love it. You totally just ran with that. I love it. Dude. Dude. This this is why we podcast together, man. It's a thing. So today we're going to check in on the standard meta game. I don't know, man. Why don't we start just like with a, a check-in of our weeks? Because I think that's probably going to be a good barometer for how things are going. What have you been up to, CGB? Oh, we already did the check-in on my week. <laughs> All right. <laughs> this gets covered. Good to go. Uh, there, there's been a lot, of, a lot of experimentation, and there's been a lot of Omnath. Although I will say, there was this period. So since we talked, like, we talked about the ban announcement. That was the last you heard from us. And there, it, I don't know if you had this experience. There was like a two, maybe you were playing limited the whole time. There was like a two-day truce. Oh, you know, yeah. Just for some reason, Omnath disappeared from ladder for about two days, and the play queue too. I I made a video where I was trying to mill an Omnath deck, and it took me two hours of recording to play against one. And when I finally queued into it, it was an eighty card Yorian Omnath deck. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> the justice. So so yeah, there there was a truce. It happened for some reason. Like everybody took a chill on Omnath for a minute, but by the by Friday it was back and today it's just everywhere. Play Q and ranked, just everything everything all the time. And in the metas of the tournaments going on this weekend, which I think we're gonna make some time to talk about. So my week was the two day truce of confusion and now the return to the grind that is battling Omnath in every conceivable place that it could be played. Yeah, you know, the the main shift I noticed was that it went I went from facing more Omnath ramp lists to facing more Omnath adventure lists. And that was pretty much the only noticeable change for me in the Omnath meta game. Um did see some more rogues lists pop up. You know, they got kind of a second lease on life with the banning of Aro. So, but other than that, it's just Omnath all the way down, man. So, I spent the week playing limited and some standard. I've been playing this Boros party deck, Boros party time, and actually been having some fun with it and some success on the ladder. So maybe we'll talk about that a little bit as well. There's been a number of tournaments that have happened recently that I think have been fairly revealing. So do you want to just dive into our tournament meta games? 
Yeah, we can definitely dive into that. Would you like to start with uh, some of the, like, there's a Red Bull and Tapped qualifier, I think, that happened, and I haven't looked at the meta for that yet. The CFB one, for sure, I want to spend some time on, but maybe we can do a quick warm-up. Yeah, let's do the Red Bull, for sure. This was the the Red Bull qualifier for France. Let's have a look. What what do you think is going to be the most what, played? What, what do we think it's going to be? Wow, CGB, am I reading this correctly? This is a tournament in which Omnath was not the most played deck in the field. Am I actually, actually you're... seeing this? <laughs> no, okay, all right. You're, <laughs> I, you're reading this incorrectly I, I, I because... Kept, I kept reading and then I realized. <laughs> yeah, so what, you, what, what Arjuna is realizing from looking at the screen, which is not really his fault. It's very small font shared from my screen to his. Um, <laughs> it, what he's realizing is that while Demir Rogues is the most played deck archetype that shows up the next two most played archetypes are four color omnath and four color adventures which of course runs you know who omnath the see the trick there was that they left omnath out of the name so so we're talking about 27 percent of the meta being omnath for this red bull qualifier in france which is would be a problem most of the time in most magic universes and seems kind of tame (laughs) <laughs> yeah. here here in this yeah. one which it's, is kind of amazing it's actually kind of a relief to see yeah but and uh rogues rogues at 16 percent of the field is a pretty surprising thing this is hope you know this is this this is optimism and now i'm going to crush it because look at the win rate for rogues yeah the win 40 percent is... win rate not not hot uh, not good not hot four color omnath the second most played deck 31% win Ouch, rate. dude. Ouch. What? I mean, to me, this reads like a hard target is what it reads like. It reads like every deck in the tournament was gunning for the fuck, you know, for the for the Omnath ramp deck. But, I mean, hey, if, if they're able to do that successfully, then that says a lot. But then we keep going down the list and we discover that there was actually a... Uh, what appears to be the most winningest win rate percentage of any deck in the field in the form of the four-color adventure list running, guess what, Omnath. And I think that what we're seeing there, normally MTG Melee is a pretty sweet website for running tournaments, organizing data, and sharing deck lists. And it's one of the cool things about it is that the match win percentage doesn't take into account mirrors. Hmm. Okay. Right, So if four-color Omnath beats four-color Omnath, it's not going to play into these percentages. Got it. But if four-color Adventures beats four-color Omnath, it does. Okay, so, so they were preying upon them. Maybe it's just like same basic plan, but the Adventure decks just attack from more angles and have certain kinds of resilience? I think that the Adventure decks just have more... They just have more engines, right? You have yeah. four innkeepers, four clovers, and four omnath, and you have Fae of Wishes, which is, and you have Escape to the Wilds, and those are easier to cast and more reliable than Genesis Ultimatum. Yeah. So as long as the Adventures deck can have a counter or be far enough ahead by the time Ultimatum is happening from four color omnath, the Adventures deck should be favored, and I think that's why you're seeing so many people switch over to it. Yeah. I think it's just, it's solid. You can pivot into a deck that just has a very solid aggro matchup. The deck just pivots so nicely. It does so many things. So yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised to see that, to be honest. 
it's cool that people have found a way to play Omnath, which wasn't just, you know, your regular Cobra build. I mean, these decks still sometimes run some number of Cobra, but, you know, it's at least a cool, like, diversification of the metagame. The kind of depressing thing is that the decks play out basically the same. No matter who you're sitting across the table from, there's this kind of depressingly familiar feeling because, you know, both of the decks run the Escape to the Wilds. You know, they all run some version of Ramp or another. Some of the non-adventure, like non-clover carrying decks still do the Beanstalk thing. So there's, you know, kind of a lot of similarity in the list, but it's at least nice that we have two Omnath decks in the format and not just one. It is. <laughs> Omnath. I don't know if I call that nice. <laughs> Omnath, Omnath, Omnath. Um, I, I think that the, the biggest difference between the two is, to me, in an unprepared format, four-color Omnath is best because you just, boom, you just throw everything on the, battle, on the battlefield. And if the opponent doesn't kill the Cobra or the Omnath and the Escape and the Ultimatum, it's like by turn five, you've you've either won the game or caused a rage scoop from how long your turn is taking and four color omnath is you know four color adventures i would say we know how the adventure deck plays out it's just sitting there staring at them get a little more ahead every turn because all their cards are two for ones like every card in their deck is at least a two for one so every single card they play it feels like ugh well, let's sample this game that you just let me in on before we uh, started the podcast, CGB. I believe that you had a turn four resolved Beanstalk Giant into a turn five Ugin against one of these Omnath decks, and it wasn't even remotely close to enough. Thanks for bringing that up. I was, I was, you know, I, I cleanse the palate when I come out to make content. I regret letting you even see how that <laughs> went. So yeah, when I when I shared my screen with Arjuna, I was slamming an Ugin to wipe a Felidar Retreat, a Kenrith, a Terror of the Peaks, and like a Lotus Cobra while attacking with a Beanstalk Giant on turn five. And I lost that game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You had literally onboard lethal next turn with an Ugin and a fat freaking Giant and the opponent untapped and just... It was just not even close from there. So, <laughs> yeah. Have fun reliving that one, CGB. Thank you. I'm I'm sad now. Maybe maybe since I have to be sad, maybe you will be happy because the fourth most played deck with a very respectable win rate is yeah, Mono Green Aggro. Good old, you know, it's funny because at this point it's old faithful, you know what I mean? It went from being the upstart corner case aggro deck in the format to just it's i think it's basically replaced mono red i think it's kind of playing that same role of the lean mean straightforward aggro deck that's trying to beat you down and just get the game over with as quickly as possible i don't know you know i'm happy to give the the torch of the hero to mono green aggro just side note rum rode this deck to number one in the in the you know what was it the bubblegum 5000 challenge i don't know if you guys have seen this but jason florent now for a couple of months in a row has been encouraging people to race to number one rumty has done so now twice in a row with mono green in standard so that's pretty impressive i gotta say yeah congratulations to him for sure now what do you what do you think of the world with quest with no questing beast you know i actually think it's kind of cool i think that questing beast okay So the funny thing about Questing Beast is I think that Questing Beast was actually designed to be a scalpel and not a cannon. And I think that 
what happened was that in certain meta games we just had a lot of planeswalkers right like like before war of the spark rotated there were actually very very relevant planeswalkers to kill with your questing beast so that's part of it but i also think that we just got used to the idea of questing beast being like just a good creature i think that one of the things that these kind of modern recent mono green decks are proving to us is that questing beast actually wasn't ever that good it was just the four drop that we kind of needed to fill out our curve. Oh no. Oh no. It, Questing Beast isn't that good. What is wrong with this game? <laughs> <laughs> I think the mono green deck figured out that they liked 5-5 five, five for 3 better than 4-4 yeah. four, four for 4. So I think that's, that's kind of how it lines up. It is. It is. It's Omnath, right? Yeah. Because Questing Beast trades with Omnath and other things bash through Omnath. Yeah, And here's the Ugh. thing. So in theory, Questing Beast would be good against cards like Felidar Retreat. The problem is it's not because they just buff the creatures once and then your Questing Beast is just laughable. So if we had a token generator that was just crapping out tutus, like, I don't know, Field of the Dead, then that's one thing, right? But if the tutus are just constantly getting counters and stuff, you just can't be Questing Beasting basically at all. Yeah, for, uh, for those who aren't in on the list either, because obviously we didn't run it down, but if you look up Rumti's list and what he sped run number one mythic, it's kind of weird. Uh, I know that for a while, Questing Beast was completely out of the main deck and in the sideboard, and then I saw a version with none in the sideboard either. Just out. <laughs> Just relegated, buddy. Yep. You know, back, to the, back to the small leagues. Yeah, back to draft. <laughs> yeah. Play your questing beast in limited, noob. Brawl, baby. That's my brawl commander right there. Happy to see Monogreen living its best life. Now, as the, the podcast's preeminent control mage, I'm curious if you've spent any time with this list that, you know, Crokey's popularized Grixis control. Dude, so I was watching his stream... It was, I think it was yesterday. Yeah, yesterday morning. And just, I saw him get mythic with it, just terrorizing the ladder. And so I was like, that's the video for the day. I want to do some of this stuff. And it it's such a strange deck. It's It's got so many pieces. And the mana is the most interesting because red is probably your least used color, but you need it early. But your red lands are also removal spells. <laughs> in a lot of cases and it's this bizarre resource denial deck and i think that it is shining the brightest right now because it like man does it wreck the rogues because they do not like croxa like like that that deck was already teetering on the edge with card advantage because it usually doesn't have very much like maybe it steals something with a zareth or like, my version started running into the story because I was just always out of cards. Or Agadim's Awakening wasn't good enough. And, like, against Grixis, what seems to happen is they play out their threats, they fill your graveyard, you untap, bring back a Croxa, knock the last card out of their hand, and then play a removal spell or an extinction event, and they're just dead. They've got nothing. And Croxa just is laughing. Yeah, Just laughing at him. Well, I mean, it's the remaining Titan to mill, right? So mm -hmm. it kind of makes sense. I think I can see Croaky's reasoning where he was like, "All right, one Titan down. Let's try to break the next one." <laughs> and I mean, yeah. you know, I think it reminds us that I th I think the general consensus and standard anyway was that Ro was the Titan to be playing if you're going to play one. 
but I think a lot of people easily forget that Kroxa is just also a very, very, very good magic card. So it doesn't surprise me to see it continuing to move on into standard because it is just objectively an extremely powerful card. So yeah, I like seeing that. Now, how does this deck do against the Omnath lists? You have the control dilemma of having the right cards at the right time, but it's definitely not a bad matchup. It, it always hangs by a thread of, well, I did all the things my deck does, and I have a Croxa, and if they top deck an Ugin or an Ultimatum or an Escape to the Wilds, I could lose. And if they don't, or if I top deck a Negate, then I win. So it's very good at not letting the the Adventure or Omnath decks run away with the game quickly, and you just end up in this mid-game that seems like it comes down to either really good choices you made if your brain is huge and or uh, just bad luck uh, when when they they just draw the nuts so it's interesting i'm looking at this list by um tiago rodriguez who is ranked 16th in in the red bull france one of the things that stands out to me the most is it's running four count them four copies of maze mind term Yes. Is this yep, what that's you are a running Crokey's in your thing. list? Yep, that's a Crokey's thing. That's what I ran for my video. This is very close to the Crokey's list, except as two Croxa and and uh, one Ashiok. I believe he had two in the last version. Of course, he tunes about a card a day. So, um, but yeah, the this deck is it is what we're going for. And dude, Maze Mind Tome. Talk about a card that Grixis needed and that got so much better in a world where you can like a world without uro probably the best card uh feels like it was maze mind tome because now you just have this time and decks don't have this inevitable card advantage machine ticking away in their graveyard for free so you have time to if they're not pressuring you to draw all four cards and gain four life and if they are pressuring you you have time to put things on the bottom and draw the right cards from your deck because you have the control issue you know what i mean you gotta draw the right cards at the right time you have to have the right cards at the right time and it's really hard to have your sweeper when you need it when you only have two in your 60 card deck but tome really increases that consistency and it gives grixis something it usually completely lacks which is life gain normally grixis gets to two life and if they have if the opponent has three bone crusher giants and four shocks left in your deck eventually you will die you don't have enough counters and you don't have closing speed but maze mind tome buys you that time and it's it's actually in hard control decks, it's hard for me to picture not running Maze Mind Tome right now. You know, leave it up to a colorless card to bring life gain to Grixis, right? <laughs> so I imagine that you spend at least 50% of the time with Maze Mind Tome just trying to smooth your mana out. Am I right with that? Yes, that that's a big function of it if you're under pressure. Yeah. And if if your hand is clunky and if you don't have the right answer, you really want to draw, but... Uh, if you're under pressure, just scry. Scry the holy crap out of the deck. Put the put the stop on your upkeep, scry on their end step, then scry again, man. Just just get to the right stuff. Let me ask you this. 
How does Maze Mind Tome line up against Rogues? Because, you know, I imagine that that almost completely invalidates the, the free mode of the tome. So Maze Mind Tome is good against Rogues, and you just have to be selective. Mm. Rogues doesn't really invalidate it because they still want to play around your removal. And there is a cat and mouse game on your end step. Say you have two open mana, right? And on your end step, on their end step, you scry with the tome, and then you keep on top. Yeah. And the opponent's holding a, a Thieves' Guild enforcer, or they have a Flash Rogue with an enforcer on the table. What do they do? Yeah, they that's can true. Go a- so they yeah, mill so- you, and then they open themselves up to removal or whatever, right? Yeah, they can go for it, but then you might untap an extinction event and get both the creatures. You know? Nice. <laughs> oh, it's that it's that wonderful head game that you enjoy so much, Covert Go Blue. Oh, I do. I, I do love it. But I will say also, Tome plays a huge role against rogues. If you can hold off their initial creatures or just keep their initial creatures from being good, like if Thieves' Guild Enforcer stays a 1-1, if Merfolk Wind Robber is just fueling your Croxa, like you don't have to kill those right away. So if you have time and you get to activate the Tome, like I said, rogues and card advantage don't mix. Every card you get up on them is a big deal because they have to close the game most of the time. There are some builds. There are the into the story builds, but I don't think those are nearly as popular as here's my 20 rogues go face. That's one thing I noticed even just playing my Boros list against the rogues list was that they peter out really quickly. I found that in an, in the aggro matchup, sometimes you just get a couple of creatures down and they have a bunch of understated stuff and they just can't really even keep up with you on that front. So yeah, that definitely, I don't know, definitely a, a house of cards, shall we say, has been my experience of the deck so far. All right, what other lists stood out to you from this tournament? Let's go to the first place list because I think the winner is going to blow your mind. Abzan Agro. Abzan Agro. That's not Abzan Agro. I had to read that twice to make sure. Okay, we're, we are having an MTG melee moment. Oh, no. <laughs> it says Abzan Agro. It's not Abzan Agro. Oh, when what you a click letdown, on it, man. What a, I, was, I was so ready to like get into some weird list that spiked a tournament. We're no stranger to love. You know the rules, and so do I. Anyway, we got Rickrolled. <laughs> and uh, it's actually Rakdos. Okay. I mean, that's still an interesting choice, though. So pretty cool. What the heck is this? So we're looking at a Liliana Waker of the Dead for Magmatic Chandler. And now, remember when we reviewed this card, I think we both thought it could be good. But I said that it was the discard effect. You had to find a way to make the discard effect good. So I'm already excited. There you go. Liliana right there. For Croxa, Titan of Death's Hunger. We were talking about how good that is against rogues and uh, just how it is the leftover amazing Titan. For Meyer Triton. For Bonecrusher Giant. Two Terror of the Peaks. There's a combo I haven't seen much of. Interesting. With, with no apparent way to like cheat it into play either. Not yet. Murderous Rider, Rankle Master of Pranks, two each of those. For Tamarit Calls the Dead. And then we've got the Bad Earth Gulf Mashing Land <laughs> that I can never say right. <laughs> Blood Chief's Thirst, Agadim's Awakening, one of those. And then we have in the instant category. Two Spike Field Hazard, two Hagra Mauling. So a whole bunch of the land. 
Like, there's a lot of the flip land here. Two Heartless Act, A Shredded Sails, which that was in the Crokey's Grixis list as well. That's a destroy target artifact or deal four damage to a flyer or cycle it. Gotta kill those clovers, man. And then uh, 19 other land, some Temple of Malice, some Castle. I mean, this is this is Rakdos self-mill mid-range. What is this deck? This is, I. it's been a while since I've seen a deck as spicy as this. And especially since I've seen a deck as spicy as this take down a tournament. So one of the things that sticks out to me about this deck is it seems fairly slow. Because here's the thing, you're not running that many instants and sorceries. So you could conceivably build a deck with Triton, Channeler, Timurit Calls the Dead, and just like a whole mess load of instants and sorceries. And just kind of try to like get a 4-4 on turn 3 and get the job done. And I mean, I guess... You know, all of these spell lands are kind of filling in that role a little bit, but you're probably playing a number of them as lands, um, and so maybe you're just relying only on the mill plan to get them in the graveyard. I mean, we've only got one Liliana, so do you think that we're turning on the Magmatic Channeler that often? I don't think that's the point. I think I think this deck only has one plan, and it's not a turn 4-4. Four, four, four. It's a turn 4-6-6. Six, six. I think that's all it's trying to do. The Omnath deck doesn't really kill it. The kill Croxa that's going to stick in play. We talked about their inability to kill a Beanstalk Giant. They can't kill a Croxa. So I, I think this deck with the mill cards, with four Meyer Triton, four Mag Mag Chandler, and four Timurit Calls the Dead to fill the graveyard, the only plan is to Croxa you on turn four. And if it sticks, you're just down a card and taking six to nine damage a turn. The end. That's it. That's the plan. Must work. I kind of like the out of... I mean, this this combo is very strong of Terror of the Peaks into Kroxa because, you know, you're taking a minimum of six damage and depending on what your hand is, you might just take nine damage to the face on the spot. And uh, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's solid. I I really think that this is... It, it, it looks slow, like you said, but... Maybe as soon as you hit their Genesis Ultimatum or the land they needed to cast it, maybe it's just not realistic for Omnath decks to go off when there's a Croxa they can't deal with. Maybe they just can't do it. I'm also seeing, like, for example, I'm seeing three Skyclave Shade in the sideboard. I wonder if you bring that in for Omnath matchups. I'm not sure, like, who else that card is good against. I think most aggro lists will kind of shrug because they're, you know, aiming to just attack past it. It's definitely not aggro. I agree with that. Yeah. Maybe just control. Yeah, I think it's just hard control. I yeah. Imagine a demure control deck. You know, they're, they're almost all counter and removal. How are they going to kill the shade? Yeah, that's true. They don't run spike field hazard, which is kind of the natural answer to it. So, yeah, maybe that's it. Just punishing the other control decks. I mean, if any Gandalfs show up <laughs> trying to beat the Skyclave Shade, they're going to have a fun time with that. Yeah, it's this a, deck is super sweet. spicy. I, I definitely have to play it. Yeah, I, I'm guessing, I'm guessing that it's that the Croxa thing is it's going to be fun. <laughs> It's, it is, imagine, so that Beanstalk Giant I played and then the opponent untapped and just ultimated me into oblivion. If it had been a Croxa, they wouldn't have had either the land or the Genesis ultimatum and they would have just been dead. So there you go. True stories. One of the things that I love about this, which is just a small synergy, but they have the shredded sails, the cycling thing. And 
it just makes me wonder like you could run a number of you know cool cycling cards to help you turn on your your croxa and stuff like that um just fill your graveyard i don't know that seems like an un- underexplored design space to me agreed now do you want to talk about the second place deck like like this is kind of bizarre. You have to go to fourth place to find a four-color adventure. And then in the top eight, there were only two, which is really bizarre. But you're probably going to enjoy this one. Do you want to take us through this one? So, okay, this deck is running. Two Luminarch Aspirant, a must in any of these white aggro decks. Four Skyclave Apparition, interesting. Four Venerable Knight. Four Season Hallowblade, three Giant Killer. Three Selfless Savior, two Archon of Ameria. So we're definitely going to talk about that. Two Legion Angels. So this person's decided that the 2 2 split, two in the main, two in the board, is what they want. Two Shepherd of the Flock. Four Mall of the Skyclave. So we are, we're going to the Sky Mall for this deck. Three Glass Casket, two Ameria's Call, one McKinney Stampede, one Kabira Takedown, 18 Planes, three Castle Arden Vale. And then the sideboard has just sideboardy things in it. Including two Legion Angels, of course. And actually, yeah, one Idol of... In- oh, wait, ha- two Idols of Endurance in the sideboard, which is a card that you and I both sworn no one would ever play unironically in standard. So it's kind of interesting, man. What? I, what? <laughs> who, like, who are you playing that against? Is it, again, is it like to punish control? I think it's rogues. Yeah, I guess rogues, right? Because, uh, let me read this sucker again. Hold on. (laughs) Now I'm like, what does this do? I think it's exile any number. When it enters the battlefield, exile all creature cards with mana cost three or less, which is just about everything except for the Legion Angels, from your graveyard until it leaves the battlefield. So rogues fills up your graveyard. You play Idol of Endurance. You exile all, nearly every creature card from your that from your deck can be under this thing and then for one in a white you get to cast those at flash speed without paying their mana cost do you get to do it at flash no speed? you don't you're right yeah. you do have to cast it when you cast it oh yeah. that's weird you know it would that would make it a lot better against rogues actually until end of turn you may cast a creature spell from among the cards without paying its mana cost i think that means you can play it on the opponent's turn because it says you may cast it Interesting. I don't know. Now I'm confused. Mm-hmm. I'd be curious to see the ruling on that. Having never actually used the card, it's difficult. I mean, I, to be honest, I just forgot this was even in our format. So the game plan of this deck looks pretty simple. Just play a bunch of you know cheap creatures and a couple of slightly more expensive creatures, and it does have a little bit of that like. Um, little little bit of that control the opponent while doing so thing the skyclave apparition and the archon of Amiria are kind of running that small amount of interference that you need and the giant killer of course probably really good against these mono green decks and does kill an omnath so i don't know this list definitely reads to me like it might have been better with a couple of elephants in it but here we are Clearly still doing the job of taking down the tournament. What do you think about these two DFCs in, in the list here? We've got a McKinney Stampede and a Kabera Takedown. I mean, draft chaff or what? I wonder if you'd run them at all if it weren't for Shepherd of the Flock, mm. which has actually a number of combos here. It can get back an empty glass casket. It can get back a giant killer. 
it can get back a Skyclave Apparition, and if you do that with the ability on the stack, they don't get a token. Dude, you know what? That's so interesting. I didn't realize that Shepherd of the Flock just literally says permanent. Return mm-hmm. target permanent you control to its owner's hand. That's so much broader than I thought that card was. Yeah, so it can reset the two Amiria's calls or the McKinney Stampede or the Kabira takedown from the mana base too. So there's it's actually amazing how many uses there are for your two mana three one with a funky adventure. Dude, you can even like pick up a giant killer and hit again. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of like it, man. This list looks fun to me. I'm surprised I haven't run into it on the ladder at all because this just screams like a ladder deck to me. Maybe it's just that people don't really feel like you know, splashing out for all of the wild cards for dorky cards like Archon of Amiria and stuff. Oh, I haven't seen this list anywhere. Um, yeah. This is the first I've seen anything like it, so maybe you'll see more of it in the future. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, because this just seems like a ladder all-star to me. Speaking of ladder all-star, the oh, third baby. place deck. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Oh. Boro Cycling Returns. Yeah. Is there anything particularly interesting going on here, CGB? Like, has this deck evolved much? It's the mana. Now, it used to be the budget deck, and Wizard said, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, we can't, we can't that. We can't have people grinding out their MTG Arena accounts with no rares whatsoever. So they made pretty much... Like, you don't have to play these, but anybody net decking this might get confused on that. It now has 12 pathways, because if you play the pathway for the side that isn't white or red, maybe you can actually cast your memory leak or your boon of the wish giver yeah yeah it's pretty cool tech man it's gonna come up very seldom but it's nice to have the option yeah there's also a shatter skull smashing and a spike field hazard and a sigiri shelter which is the protection land so there's a few other lands sprinkled in here from the new set and otherwise you know omnath Sometimes gains a lot of value, but doesn't necessarily kill you on time. And Zenith Flare does Zenith Flare things. Also, Demir Rogues, thank you for milling me. I will now Zenith Flare. I will now Zenith Flare. That's a pretty nice little thing to be doing, for sure. Uh, the Rogues are not, not, not going to be happy to see that. Although, I'll tell you what, if it was me doing it, they'd mill all four of my Zenith Flares in like the first two turns, and then I would just cry myself to sleep. So, <laughs> there you go. Should we uh, switch over to the Channel Fireball yeah, yeah. one? Yeah, let's look that's at a the CFP one and, and see what's going on there. But certainly a spicy freaking tournament, man. Yeah, that was that Red Bull was not what I expected, especially at the very top, kind of some rogue stuff. Not rogues, not demure rogues, some rogue <laughs> some decks. Some actual though. rogue decks, yeah. Yeah, some things that people don't have on their radar that might inspire some testing to see if it's for real. And switching over, this is this tournament is in progress right now. So we might be able to look down the list of the undefeateds and find something interesting. But uh, the Channel Fireball Clash, which is open to everybody for just $5, and I believe it's a 10K tournament prize pool. Not so bad. That's, bad. that's a big deal. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a pretty sweet uh, addition to the tournament lineup. A lot of people are playing it. And looking at this meta... The number one most played deck is Four Color Omnath with 107 players registering it for 23.7% of the field. But wait. There's more. (laughs) 
Would you like to tell us about the second most played deck? Yeah, it's a it's a you know it's a nice adventure deck running. Oh, I, I, yeah, it, it, it's another Omnath deck. So it's the it's the four color Omnath adventures list. Nineteen percent of the meta game. So for that's a total of what forty two, maybe forty three percent of the field on these Omnath yes. decks. Yes, and we also see the trend from Red Bull continuing so far in match win. We're only four rounds into this tournament, but Four Color Omnath has a 51% win rate, and Four Color Adventures has a 59% win rate. So it's, again, leading in the win rate uh, column as well. So it's interesting, too. I'm just scanning down this list, and I see that there are four Rakdos midrange lists in this so far, and they are rocking a 73% win rate. So maybe this Rakdos list is just the new truth, man. I don't know. Do you think it's the same list? I don't know. Do you think it moved that quickly? Let's see if we can find one. I'm I'm trying to see if there's one near the top of the standings. (laughs) And actually there isn't, which is weird. They must all have one loss or something. Like every player must have one loss. Interesting. Ah, there it is. Rakdos midrange. So here's one that's 4-0. And we've got, it is the list. Yeah, yeah. It is little, that deck. little different. Running some Ox of Agonis, which that must just be anti-rogues tech. Escape 8. <laughs> Gotta love it, man. Gotta I, love it. I can't imagine you need that and Croxa, but here we are. Here we are. Yeah, yeah. You just, you didn't have enough Croxas in your deck, so you just wanted to add some extra spice. Timur, it calls the dead, making its official standard appearance. Yeah, this is kind, kind of, of crazy. Yeah. So the metagame breakdown here reads a lot more like what I would expect. So yeah, so we're starting off with two Omnath lists at the top. Third place is Demir Rogues um, with 7%. Fourth place, Grixis Control, five, almost 6%. Fifth place, um, 5.5% Mono Green Aggro, also Mono Red Aggro. So yeah, and then Teamer Adventures at almost 3% below that. So this is like what I would have expected it to look like. So definitely kind of a pivot from the from the Red Bull that we were just looking at. What do you what do you make of this? The the first thing that jumps out to me is actually that some people are running the reprisal of Esper Doom. So that seems to be back on the menu. People dance of the Mansing. And the current first place deck, which doesn't mean much because there's a lot of four O's, but the fir- current number one, if you were to look when we look, is an Esper Doom list. An undefeated Esper Doom. Uh, four Confounding Conundrum. Main deck Yorian. Uh, two two of those. Looks like it is a 60-card deck, though. So okay. just the two Yorians yeah. in the main. No, no, none in the sideboard. Yep. Treacherous Blessing. Omen of the Sun. Omen of the Sea. Like, all these things that you'd expect. I, just really leaning on Confounding Conundrum. Three Dance of the Mance. Bring him back the dance. What do you think of that? That's a lot of dance, by the way. I feel like a lot of these lists used to run too. So this is like really the win con. Yeah, it, the play on turn, I guess, eight or even on turn like six, if you get back to Doom Foretolds can be pretty devastating. Yeah. And I think it's an acknowledgement that you do need Doom Foretold to sacrifice things, but you also need to keep Confounding Conundrum on the battlefield against these Omnath decks. So while it's fine and good to sacrifice your Confounding Conundrum to get another round of Doom Foretold, you need it back. And uh, Dance does the job. So three Mystical Disputes and two Drown in the Lock. 
Drown in the lock is an interesting one with no obvious way to mill the opponent. So I guess they're just thinking that the game's going to go long enough. And they're not just going to clean their graveyard with Uro to make it bad. Drown in the lock might be one of the best cards that nobody ever got to play because of Uro. Yeah. Yep. I would agree with that. It is such a solid card. I mean, two mana counter a spell or kill a creature is an obviously busted card. And so, and you know, it does get turned on during the normal course of a game of Magic. So really happy to see that card seeing more play in standard right now. I I will say... Otherwise, aside from that Esper Doom deck on top, looking at the rest of like the top of the standings is quite the experience with four color Omnath, four color Omnath, four color Adventure, four color Adventure, four color Omnath, four color Omnath. Teamer Adventures, the untainted. The untainted adventure tell, list. Tell me, tell me, does it hurt you to read these four color adventure things and think that Omnath ruined the the beauty that you find in teamer adventures you know i will say the deck is still beautiful without it so i don't know like this this warms my heart sean goddard you are carrying the torch my friend this deck definitely got better with the inclusion of the dfcs i think that's the main thing the deck gained and there is something really nice about just the pure list i don't know the omnath lists do make it a bit more clunky and there are definitely compromises and so, you know, I, I think that there is something to just playing the original list. It's such a strong deck, you could easily get there. Oh man, this tournament broke Sandy Dog. <laughs> that, uh, that's what I was bringing up. So probably the ultimate torch courier for mono red. See what I did there? <laughs> oh no. Who, who has been playing red or burn, like Boros Burn maybe in modern, but basically has been playing Bolt Your Face for as long as I can remember, Sandy Dog MTG, which you can find him on Twitch. Um, you, I, I, I was going to phrase this as the health of the format. How do you feel about the health of the format where Sandy Dog isn't playing mono red? It can't be good, right? It can't be good. It's kind of embarrassing, <laughs> to be honest. He's running four color adventure and. <laughs> it's the end of the era man yeah it's, it's how the it's, mighty have oh. fallen oh man oh my god and gosh. how about this two spots in the sideboard for Chainweb arachnir oh man that is a rogue killer my friend that that spider freaking devastates the rogues decks it it's so good he's willing to play less fey targets to have it available for the matchup yeah that is like a definite standout all-star it's almost like they, you know, they've been planning this or something. Pretty gas, I gotta say. I do think that uh, if if you ignore Uro, I think it's pretty a pretty cool job by the design team to build these escape cards that be, are mostly draft chaff until they push rogues just far enough. Right yep. when they finally push rogues far enough, it's like okay, every deck now needs to scramble for an escape card. Every deck needs to have something up their sleeve. Um, so it's, I think it's kind of, I think that's pretty cool. I don't want to give them too much credit while Omnath is legal, but I'll, I'll give them that one. No, I agree, and I think one of the things it highlights is that again, getting something for free. These DFCs have proved it to us. We're willing to run fairly mediocre cards in our deck if it means we can sometimes get them for free. Oh, yeah. Yeah, throw in those spiders, throw in those... I mean, okay, admittedly, the Ox of Agonis is a mythic, right? 
but still basically an unplayed card in standard. But you know, once we're milling, sure, let's I'll take an ox as well. Why not? The same thing with uh, I think it's the lesson that we all learned from Companion too, right? And if it's free, we will build our decks in funky ways to get it for sure. I I think that's kind of interesting too. How many decks have mill in the title right now? Like this is kind of crazy. Demir Mill, Rakdos Mill, Grixis Mill, Mono Blue Mill, and Azorius Mill all have representation in this tournament. They they did enough to bring Mill back as a win con. Is that a good thing? So am I to deduce that any list that has Mill in the name is trying to kill the opponent via milling? Oh, I don't know, man. Rakdos Mill? That yeah, can't be ra- true, like right? Rakdos Mill, like that's got to be not the kill your opponent with the mill plan, right? Well, and here's the other thing as well. One of the things you're not able to see, um, unless you actually look into these individual lists, is what the win conditions are in the Omnath lists. So people actually have been running these these crab versions of the Omnath list, which are using milling the opponent as a main win con. So that could be one of the things that's kind of invisible from looking at the metagame breakdown that if you were to dig into some of these lists, you would see the crab plan. Now, I don't know if the crab is still a popular win con in these Omnath lists, but um, that's just something to note as well. That's true. We don't have four-color mill, but it can be a win con in Omnath. That has been popular, especially in the mirrors. Yeah, exactly. I found this Rakdos mill list. They're definitely not milling the opponent. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) self-mill, self-mill all the way down. Four Lilianas, jeez. Nice to see that card getting some respect. Definitely. Like like on our show with Danny T, we talked about it, right? I was completely off it when he mentioned the card, and then he was like, well, you just plus it every turn, and they lose all their ultimatums, and you're like, oh, oh, oh. I'll tell you what, this card is better than Davriel, so I'll give it that. Gauntlet thrown down. Look at the Maze Mind Tomes in this Grixis Mill deck. So if you're running Liliana and you're able to pitch your own Kroxo, your own Ox of Agonis to it, it's basically just free. So the, my main question is, like, is Liliana as your turn four play against any deck the thing? Like, is that what's going to get you ahead in a game of Magic, is to spend four mana on this Planeswalker? And you both discard a card? No. Uh, it definitely can't do it alone. Not even close. And if you're under any kind of pressure, it's kind of a joke. Because she probably can't minus to kill anything that early in the game. At least not well. Yeah, it's it's a little baffling to me. Look at the amount of discard here. There's four Croxes, four Lilianas, four Agonizing Remorse, and three Duress main deck. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the thing, man. They uh, complete the Duress list in the sideboard as well maybe discard is back right maybe the idea is that you get the discard train started early so that by the time you're able to cast liliana your opponent just doesn't have anything to pressure you with liliana on a board with no pressure is actually a pretty commanding planeswalker it's pretty hard to contest her once she comes down because she just starts draining like i've definitely lost to my fair share of lilianas even in historic can be a very strong card but with the caveat that you really do need to maintain control of the game until you resolve it. I will say her minus three looks a lot better if you're against rogues and they fill your graveyard for you so it actually can come down and kill something. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, the emblem is not to be not to be scoffed at either. This is a Grixis mill deck that is currently 4-0 in the tournament and wow. right at the top, four rune crab. 
Poor Ruin Crab. So this one means it. Okay, yeah. this this deck has a goal, and it is your library. They say you can start with sixty life. <laughs> um, four improbable alliance, which which is what? kind of interesting to me, right? Because that seems like what an alternate win con. It's definitely an expensive way to draw cards. I mean, yeah, you're not activating that sucker if you can help it. And yeah. then there's the four Teferi's tutelage, because like I said, they mean it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> four Maddening Cacophony, the oh, mill eight. Wow, just leaning in, man. You know, this person just made a metagame read, and they are just farming. That's what this person is doing, is farming. So you haven't heard a black card yet. Black is only here for one main deck card, and that card is Drown, Drown in, the lock. in the Lock. Wow. The strongest card in the deck, right? Maybe, because you also have Into the Story, which is the straight-up draw four. Yeah. I mean, this is this, pretty this cool. deck is beautiful. Yeah, this, beautiful. this is pretty cool. Also, note running four Lol Mages Domination in the sideboard and four Relic Golem. I was about to say, it, like, the Lol Mages Domination isn't even the spiciest thing going on in this sideboard. It, there is a three-mana 6-6 six, six that can't attack or block unless an opponent has eight or more cards in their graveyard. Which, if you'd played Limited in this set at all, you would know is actually a pretty strong card in the in the mill deck. So, yeah, um, this basically looks like the dopest draft deck ever. So... <laughs> I'm pretty into this, man. And I could definitely see how, like, this could just farm. This could just straight up farm certain metagames. I have a hard time imagining this is going to take it all away in the tournament. But, you know, definitely a fun little juke. And I wouldn't be surprised to see it go further as well. I've got to try this thing. <laughs> this is a beauty, man. It really so, yeah, is. there's some spice out there in Standard, believe it or not. This absolutely bizarre weird meta where we it revolves around this one card that is so insanely broken actually opens up these strange angles to attack from like just emptying their library or just emptying their hand and ignoring the other things like i don't know the battlefield because aggro is almost pointless in a world where they gain four life with every land they play you know i have to say this discussion has restored my faith a little bit in the standard format because I'll tell you what, playing on the ladder has not. <laughs> like, if you play on the ladder, you get a very, very, very specific notion of what the metagame is about. And it's just cool to see people, you know, having moderate success at a competitive tournament playing some of these interesting lists. So I'm, I'm way down for that. Yeah, I agree. I, and I'm curious to see what takes it down. I would love for it not to be Omnath, I would love the win rate for that to fall off because these unique and very original ways of attacking the deck. I think what scares me is, like, I'm glad they they are there doing their thing, but I don't know if they're going to succeed because it feels like with a four-color deck with that's pretty much pure card advantage, which both versions of the Omnath deck are, it feels like they'll find a way to shore up these matchups if they care about them. So I'm, I, I want to see how this develops and if there is a clear predator for Omnath or if Omnath is really just a pivot away from dominance at every turn. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a very good way to put it. And let's just be clear as well. The Red Bull France tournament, it kind of tells you something. So, okay, it's easy to look at a tournament like that and be like, only two Omnaths in the top eight. I guess everything's fine and balanced. 
What you're not seeing is the amount of hard targeting which is happening and the amount to which the metagame is still entirely warped around that card. And so don't let this fool you and definitely don't let the, the disinformation campaign from Wizards fool you. This is an Omnath format through and through and through. And I'm, I have not seen any evidence that suggests that that has changed yet. So um, I think that even if we you know, even if we see less of these Omnath lists in the top eights moving forward, like it's still Omnath's world and we're still all forced to live in it. And I, I certainly have not seen any deck or archetype to suggest to me that Omnath is not still the most important card in standard. On that note, I've got a very serious question for you. All right, lay it on me. Omnath, locus of creation, gas, Oh no. <laughs> or <laughs> or oh, ass. No. Oh no. <sighs> All right. So from a like do I want this on the battlefield under my control perspective? It's about as gas as it gets, All right. From a is this good for magic perspective? It gets the total ass for me. And so I don't it's know. It's gas from the ass, dude. <laughs> That's what it is. It is. It's an it's an ass making an awful lot of gas. And uh, yeah, so I guess it begs the existential question of what do we really mean when we say gas or ass, right? I, I you know, I'm going to have to go with ass ultimately. Gas in magic is ultimately like is magic fun. So I want magic to be fun. I want it to be interesting. I want it to provide new challenges on a daily basis. For me, that's gas, right? Cards that help that to happen are gas. Cards which are running in the face of that are ass. And so for that, I think I have to give Omnath the ultimate thumbs down, complete ass. Any additional thoughts on that? My additional thoughts is I don't think I've ever yelled so much on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's what this has pushed me to. But other than that, I'm, uh, I, I mean, the only thing I have left to say to you, my friend, is Omnath. Omnath. Omnath, Omnath, Omnath. 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 Omnath, Omnath. Omnath, Omnath. Omnath! Omnath.